If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd ask you to find Revelation chapter number 20. You know, tonight's one of those times where we come to one of these passages that's very often hotly debated. And um, yeah, I'm just not even going to enter that fray. I'm not going to enter the hotly debated fray. And let me tell you what I've been doing myself as I've been studying the passage and also looking into what others have to say about it. I've been reminding myself of some bigger things, right? As I look at the smaller things, I've been reminding myself of bigger things. For example, what's the message of the whole Bible? That God is sovereign king and he made people for their pleasure, for his pleasure, for his pleasure, and he rescues them for his glory. So I'm like, man, anything I think outside of that, and I'm off track with the message of the scriptures. That's been helpful. I've also just reminded myself, like, like uh, for example, John the Revelator is given this phrase, the first resurrection. They go, oh, good gravy, how many resurrections are there? So I'll just say something like this to myself as I study. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. Amen? Right? And I say, wait a minute, what's this putting the devil in the hole and letting him out of a hole? What is this? This is, this is so crazy. I say, oh, wait, Satan will be defeated. Do you see how big truth begins to make disturbing smaller truths less upsetting? I've been also reminding myself that God made it and he will do with it, creation, whatever he wants to. I've been reminding myself that though I don't quite understand exactly what the saints will do in reigning with Christ, nevertheless, they will reign with Christ. In other words, maybe you hadn't gotten your exact job description, but in Christ, you'll be there working with him. Amen? Another one that I've found is very helpful to preach to my own soul is believe that God is right. Believe that his word is true, and if it's a word from God, then it stands to reason that a pipsqueak like me is going to wrestle with many of the things he says. Just believe he's right. You know, um, I tell care that all the time. I say, just believe I'm right. It'll work out. <laughs> I'm not God, and I'm not always right. Another very important thing I must remember is that if in my discussions with other believers, I depart from humility, then I have departed from the way of Christ. I don't have to go into error, and I don't have to create an emotional fight with someone to stand in the truth. So you may leave here tonight and go Google a sermon, and you may listen to someone very wiser, much, very much wiser than I am, or you may listen to an idiot. Another idiot, I should say. Here's what I'm sure of. If you are abiding in Jesus, nothing will remain unresolved. Let me say that again. If you are abiding in Jesus, nothing will remain unresolved. That's been a big truth I've preached in my heart. Because I've, I've read stuff from the 100s all the way to today uh, as I prepare for this passage and I needed to preach big truths to my heart. Why? 
Because depending on how you look at the book of the Revelation, you could get a radically different um, outlook about this. And I believe that there are many faithful brothers and sisters. Let me start that sentence over, just in case you didn't hear me. I believe there are many faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord who look at this passage differently than I do. And I will not depart fellowship with them because we together can't quite understand everything that God is revealing. Now, that being said, I'm going to tell y'all straight up what I believe is going on. And then I challenge you to wrestle with the text, too. If you've ever preached or taught God's word, you're laughing that I'm up here and thankful you're not. Revelation chapter number 20, beginning at verse number 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years had ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are not excuse me, that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they, will, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Father, as we open your word, I humbly ask that you open it to us. May your spirit encourage your children. And may godly fear and trembling draw those who are out of the covenant closer to you. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. Tonight... Let's start with a pre-sermon sermon. Of all that I might have said in the introduction, this is one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit heavier. One of the verses I think about very often is Galatians 3.26. Galatians 3.26 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Why do I think about that verse so much? Because in Christ Jesus you are adopted into the family of God. Let the children of God say, Amen. Now, how so? Through faith. 
If you'll remember, when we were going through John, the people that were following Jesus around wanted to know what works they could do that they might be found righteous in God's sight. He says, this is the work you do, believe on the one he sent. See in this verse, the beauty of the, of the, of the gospel for the true church. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons. Now, who are the sons and, and daughters of God? Those in Christ Jesus. How did they get to be the sons and daughters of God? Through faith in Christ. They, are, they believe into Christ. Now, God's time is an amazing thing, and one of my favorite guys to listen to just to get encouragement is a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. Now, he's Scottish. Listening to anyone Scottish is just cool. He could actually be reading a tater chip menu, you know, and I would find it interesting, you know. Oh, excuse me, some guests are here. A potato chip. And so this week, his whole subject matter was in Christ, and it was perfect timing. Like, who needs to not fear those in Christ? Who needs to fear those not in Christ? Can those not in Christ be in Christ? Yes. How? The Bible says, believe in your heart, in the seat of your affections, and confess with the floodgate of your, of your belief, confess with the tongue, you'll be saved. Have faith into Christ. Christ is the sure sanctuary for those who believe. You might think of Christ as, no, you're not, let me take the word out, not might. You can think of Christ as the final ark of God. Just like Noah believed God, right? He and his wife and apparently his sons, who turned out later on to be some really funny guys. That's a whole nother story. And apparently their wives, they believed, and these eight came into the ark, and God sealed the door. He destroyed all the people on the face of the planet by a flood, one of the most testifiable things in natural history. Every culture's got a flood story. Why? Because it happened. There's tater rocks on the top of the Andes. Why? Because water was up there. Science. High-pressured water, right? What God did was gave them safety. That's who Christ is. He's the ark. But rather than us walking up, a, 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 whatever you call those things, a, a, pla a platform, Onto the ark, we believe into Christ. We are sealed by the work that God did, the work Christ did that the Father approves, and we're safe in the ark. Anyone not outside, not inside the ark, anyone outside of the ark, when the judgment comes, they are not safe. Now you say, I thought you was in Revelations, man. I heard someone thinking that. I did. Here's what's important. You, you go away from here, you'll listen to a sermon, you'll read something, and you'll say, hey, man, that guy could have said this. If it was me, I would have said that. Here's the thing. If you're in Christ, this is a discussion for the elect. If you're not in Christ, get in Christ. Because <laughs> this passage says everything not in Christ is coming to a very terrible ending. Second thing I'll say about this is in Christ Jesus, I would love to talk to the sons of God. Amen? 
but I don't look forward to creating fights with the sons of God. Discussions, arguments, <laughs> make sense? Now let us proceed. There are a few things I'd like to share from Revelation chapter 20, and I pray they will encourage the elect. First is this, rejoice in the power of God, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Isn't that cool? You know, these days, I, I don't even know if this is still a cool saying. We have enough young people that they can tell me afterwards. But if we could say anybody was ever off the chain, it was that guy possessed of many demons. Remember? They said a chain couldn't even hold him. Y'all remember that story? Jesus done what? He went like, you healed? And my man was good. He put on some clean clothes, got himself cleaned up, and he was like, I want to go with you, Jesus. If we can say anybody else had ever been off the chain, it's Satan. And so what does he do with someone who he wants to redeem? He makes the chains unnecessary. What does he do with someone who is condemned? He makes the chains active. Did you notice this in this account found in the first couple verses of chapter 20? It says an angel descends from heaven with a great heavenly chain. Now, why do I point this out? This needs to be preached. There are a lot of believers these days who are always going around uh, rebuking Satan and binding things and speaking life and stuff like that. In the end of things, it's not a, it's not a mano a mano, Satan and God, you know. Uh, it's not even the fleshly Jesus duking it out like an MMA guy with, with Satan. He just sends some unnamed angel. Boom. The unnamed angel. Now, I think it's a heavenly chain. I think it's a chain of God's creation. Say, tell me all about that chain. I just did. All I know about it is right there. <laughs> An angel brings it down. Now, why is this important? I mean, it's not even Michael. It's not even Gabriel. It's not even some named angel. Who, Satan is the most beautiful, but he's not the most powerful. And I think we need to remember that sometimes. Rather than trying to rebuke the name of Satan, invoke the name of Christ. A lot of us see a devil on every doorknob, and it might be, but do you see a Christ in every situation? This passage reminds me that this angel coming down out of heaven, this very wild scene, if you ask me, is uh, Satan is nowhere near God's equal. You know what I'm saying? He's just nowhere near God's equal. Now, if you're in Christ, that ought to be very comforting to you. If you're not in Christ, the temptation is to be afraid of the devil. Be more afraid of God. Now, the second thing I want to see from these first three verses is this. Satan is bound for a thousand years, and this might be more critical, and so is his power to deceive. Now, I'm not going to go there. East Rockers, you know why I'm not going to go there, right? Because if I go there, what? But I want to go there so bad. In the book of Job, God, God calls everyone up to him. And he, and he says, hey, Satan, what have you been doing? And uh, I feel the same way, actually. 
I got an earache. I, I think, man, I feel the same way. I'm just doing a good job of keeping it inside. <laughs> he calls him up and he says, hey, uh, what have you been doing? And uh, Satan says, I've been walking around the earth going from here to there. Or the old King James way is what? To and, see, you know that stuff. I mean, could you imagine having the power, the authority of just telling the devil, hey, come here. What you been up to, man? And then God says, Did, when you were walking around, you noticed my servant, Job. Satan becomes like a petulant teenager. He's like, yeah, I saw him. But if you want good to him, he, he would cuss you, man. God said, cool, take everything he's got. Just don't touch his health. Satan does it, comes back. Say, Job hasn't turned on God. Somebody say amen. Some people get a toe ache and they turn on God. And he says, yeah, yeah, but if he was unhealthy, because, you know, that's the most important thing is your health. I don't know why Satan suddenly has a New York accent, but. <laughs> New York City, get a rope. <laughs> but, but God says, okay, do whatever you want to, but don't kill him. Now, can I give y'all a sub-sermon real quick? Have you ever even considered that some of the pains you're going through is God poking his thumb in the devil's eye? <laughs> now, do I know that? I don't. Is it possible through biblical revelation this could be true? And so you know the story. Now, and this story blows my mind. He strikes Job with a crazy disease. And, and you know, I've been sick. I ain't never been this sick. It says Job is sitting around scraping himself with a broken pot. Wow. That's wild. And then his friends come, and they have this 35-chapter discussion, you know. <laughs> really, they do. It takes God, like, just a few verses to tell this story of, of allowing Satan to do his near worst to Job, but Job was never deceived that there wasn't a God. As a matter of fact, Job kept pleading to God. He's like, hey, God, come down here. I would like to discuss all of this. Any of you ever felt like that? I certainly have. I've also done the thing where I shook my fist and I said, I know you're wrong. I have. I was 13 years old. I shook my fist and cussed God. Not, it's not hardly a day that goes by in my life. I don't think about that moment. Job's frustrated, but he doesn't. The deception of Satan doesn't touch Job. The discouragement of Satan touches Job. The delusion of his circumstances confuses Job. Now, some of y'all veterans should have said something by now. What is it? Somebody should have said amen. Do I, do I need to start over? Who said no? I'm going to start over just because of you. <laughs> it was my wife. <laughs> no soup for you. See, a lot of times we're concentrating on the mean stuff Satan does while missing the meanest thing Satan does. 
It's deception. You wonder why preachers get so wound up about so many cultural issues. You say, I just live and let live. I don't because he wants to deceive and let people remain in deception. I have to be an agent of truth. I, I personally believe the ministry of God's word is my chief calling. So, you got it, right? Satan is bound. It's pretty cool. Heavenly chain, thrown into a pit. I like the details here. I want to elaborate on them. I'm not going to elaborate on them. But let me remind them to you, remind you of them. Threw them in a pit. I don't know why I wish Brett was here, because Brett would start laughing like crazy when I say this. I just think of that crazy video where the guy walks around throwing things on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. I just kept hearing that when I was reading this passage. He threw him in the pit. And he shut it. And he sealed it over him. Was it so that he couldn't do any more mean things? Anybody notice what the scripture says? Back up for a little bit. Uh, uh, who's that, Mary Lou? Mary Lou, back up to the passage. Well, you, so far, don't do it. I forgot how far back that was. Look in your Bibles. <laughs> Click in your Bibles. Did you notice that it's not so he wasn't do any more mean things. It's so that he wouldn't do the meanest thing. Subsermon number 32. Why do preachers beg you to lay down the remotes and pick up your scriptures? The revelation of this truth and the power of God are needed to defy the deception of Satan. Are you with me? So he's cast down. Now, oh my gee, Lord help me. Now, during the millennium, during the millennium, a lot of things are going to be happening, okay? Uh, and there's so many things worth talking about. If you happen to be a guest, you know, I mean, you don't know this, but we don't try to do every single thing because we know in Life Together groups, we're going to wrestle with things that didn't get talked about here. So forgive me if I don't talk about your, the thing that is standing out to you. I want to get to the overarching message. He says this is going to go on till the thousand years were finished. Joe Loon, sitting over here, who will love me pointing him out. He just loves stuff like that. He made a, an interesting note in our Life Together group the other day that, you know, Joe, I, I'm going to paraphrase, okay? He's basically saying, like, God's not worried about time. You know, he's eternal. He's outside of the structure of time. Why does God talk in time terms? Because that's what we understand. Right? What God talks of is really in terms of order, order and disorder. Because in eternity, it doesn't matter how much time passes. What matters is if it's ordered or disordered. So Joe reminded me that God's eternal, and I reminded Joe that God's orderly. And we were, I think we were both encouraged. We had a potluck. I was already encouraged. So it is we who need to understand this thousand-year concept, not God. Now, what's going to happen during the millennium is a lot of stuff. Let's press on and see some of it, okay? Some of it. Mm. During the time Satan is bound, the saints will be reigning for a thousand years. You say, hey, man, where did you get that? Verses 4 through 6. 
As a matter of fact, verse 4 is very old. It's one, I mean, very long, excuse me. It's one of those ones no one rightly thinks of as a memory verse. They go for Jesus wept or something. He says at the end of verse 4, if you still got your Bibles open, it says, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is where I get this. They are reigning. Somebody say amen. They are reigning. Who's reigning? Who exactly does what? All right, let me show you exactly. Are you ready? Look at your Bibles. They are reigning. Thank you, Katie. You're with me. In other words, they are reigning. And Tim don't know the exact details. Right? So let's, let's look at a couple of important things that we do know. Firstly is this. As a special vindication of the tribulation saints, they live and reign for a thousand years. Now, I don't want to confuse you. I believe there's only one resurrection, and we'll get to that in a second. You see the hint coming. But I want you to notice that he does mention people who are beheaded and people who had not worshipped the beast or his image. You know why I think it's important that this is in the scriptures and we see it? Because if we are living when the days, the end of end days come, we'll see these signs and we'll be exhorted to endure. And God is exhorting those, whoever they are, who will live in these times whenever they come to endure, to endure. There, God has his eyes on you. God has a blessed, special reward for you who die or are persecuted during the end of end days. Now, by extension, we know the same is true in some degree to any believer at any time that goes through any persecution. Say amen. But believers, faithful believers, are going to be reading this word from now until Jesus comes back. Amen. He actually says to do that, believe it or not, at the end of this book. And for some of them, this won't be conjecture about timing. This will be the timing that they're living in. They need the encouragement. They need the exhortation. You remember back in Roman, uh, mm -mm, Revelation 13 when he says, hey, some of y'all are going to jail. Cool, just go to jail. Some of y'all are going to die. Okay, you're dead. And then a strange little phrase, this is for the endurance of the saints. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I would like to be encouraged by things like, you're going to miss your hair appointment. Your phone will get reconnected. What is this going to jail and dying bit, and how is that encouraging? Because captivity, unjust chains, unjust death mean nothing to a God who frees and brings back to life. He's like, hey, remember that. Y'all with me? So I think we should note there's a special vindication. Like, is it, is, it, is it hard living for God in the end of end times, in the tribulation? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. And here's the proof in the pudding. Secondly, oh, wait, let me show you this. You'll like this. So who will be ruling? I don't know, man. The saints. Revelation 4.4 talks about 24 elders sitting on some thrones. Matthew 19, Jesus said that the apostles will have 12 thrones. One of them will have Judas's name scratched out. Theological humor. Th thank you, Matt. I needed that, actually. Somebody to laugh at me. But look at this. This is the one you might find most shocking, 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the saints will judge who? 
Yeah, man. The saints will judge who? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? He's saying God is going to put you in a position to judge the world, so stop tripping on small stuff. That's a great exhortation. That was the uh, Tim Bowes prayer phrase, the TBP. Do you not know that we are to judge who, y'all? Now, if God can squash an angel like a bug, we probably ought to recognize an angel could likely squash us like a bug. But we're going to judge angels. <laughs> he says, basically, how much more can you figure out these simple things in life? You're going to judge angels. Wow. Isn't that cool? So who will be reigning? <laughs> Everyone in Christ. Give me the details. Oh, wait. Show them what they want, Vanna. I mean, right? I don't want to go further than the Scripture goes, but I don't want to stop anywhere the Scripture proceeds. Now, look at this. All those dead in Christ will experience the first resurrection. See, here's where a lot of people get hung up. And I'm, I think I'm going to straighten it up. Everybody pause and pray for me. You know what I'm real glad of? My phone is literally not working right now. So if you have angry texts, I'll get them later. Whenever my phone is fixed. Yes. All those dead in Christ will experience the first resurrection. You say, how do you know that? It says so. You say, wait a minute, it's talking about a first resurrection, and then it talks about those later on. They they what? Let me see if I can straighten it up with a simple couple verses from John chapter 5. Look at this right here. John chapter 5, verse 28, 29 on the screen. Now, Jesus says, what are those first five words? Read them out loud. You know, whenever he's saying, like, don't marvel, he's saying, like, this is Christianity 099. Can you think of another place where he tells somebody, don't marvel? Anybody? about John chapter 3, he says to Nicodemus what? Don't marvel. Why? You must be born again. And he says to Nicodemus, he goes, man, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't get this basic stuff? Born again is basic, apparently, right? So here we go. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice. Now, on Wednesday, Matt Acre gave an expert exposition of 1 Thessalonians 4. Matt said something kind of simple. Uh, I think, Matt, Matt, we share something. <laughs> we share it simple because we receive it simple. Amen? He's like, when you see people getting up out of tombs, you'll know. <laughs> huh? What do you say? That's right. <laughs> Did I miss it? Have you seen the graveyard sort of emptying? Okay. So do not marvel, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will do what? Hear his voice. And, okay, that's, that, okay. He's going to have to give me a special revelation if I'm around, because I'm going to be chunking 12 gauge. Now listen to this. Those who have done good 
to the resurrection of life. Did y'all see that? Now, what is the good that is to be done to believe on the one who God sent? That's the good. Y'all tracking with me? Say amen, church. If you're a visitor, wind up your amen and let her loose. And then those who have done evil, now what's the evilest of evil? To reject light and love darkness, to reject Christ, to the resurrection of the judgment. Now put your eyes back down into Revelation 20. He says, blessed is the holy one who shares in the first resurrection. You see where I'm getting my point? I'm getting my point from the scriptures. What is that second resurrection? I believe that second resurrection that's is, 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 uh, is, is right here in John chapter 5, verse 29. In other words, everybody has an eternity. Somebody say amen. For those who have believed on Christ, their eternity is to be with Christ and even going to reign with him. Okay? I got something wild. It's mind-boggling. Right now, Israel is assaulted on every side during the millennial. She'll be the superpower, the superpower, not one of the. She'll be the superpower. So cool. How's God going to do this? I don't know. Watch the evening news. It's baffling, but he's God. Everyone who has died in Christ will be resurrected. And so will those who have died out of Christ, except they will experience the second death. Whoa, everybody has an eternity. You can get hung up in all these details of Revelation 20, but if you miss this important detail, your ship is already sunk. The important thing is being in Christ. I see time is fleeting, and there's so much to say here. Donald Gray Barnhouse on this passage said this, it must be especially emphasized that our phrase in the apocalypse covering this resurrection is a retrospect that looks back over all three phases of the resurrection. In other words, this is a, like a, a condensed statement about the whole business. I think that's important to remember. I also don't think this is a resurrection of, of, uh, of like... Uh, degrees or like steps as much as it is a resurrection of primacy. Who's going to be resurrected first? Those who share with him who is first. The preeminent resurrection will be of those in Christ because he's preeminent. The firstborn among many sons. Don't miss that. So what's the key? Being in Christ. Now, I should say fourthly and quickly, just to you know, that's not a deception of Satan. That's a deception of Tim. Fourthly, after the thousand-year reign, there will be a final battle. This is so exciting. Now, don't, don't pretend like it's not a bunch of uh, sinners in here who used to love to watch professional wrestling. Man, I've only ever bought two pay-per-views in my life. One of them was... Uh, Mike Tyson, when he got knocked out by, oh, what's his face? Buster Douglas? No, Buster Douglas. It surprised me. I was like, man, I bought a pay-per-view for this. And the other one was for one of the uh, Summer Slams. Man, I love a good fight. I love it. And you know what wrestling people do? They gear you up for it. Just gear you up and gear you up, and they get all this drama. 
I'll tell you what, pro, does anybody still like pro wrestling? Anybody? It's okay. I'm going to pick on you. Just go ahead and cop to it. You know, you know what professional wrestling is? It's soap operas for rednecks. If you ever watch soap operas, you'll understand wrestling. If you ever watch wrestling, you'll, you'll understand soap operas. It's just, mo it's about the same amount of makeup, but slightly less clothing in wrestling. I think I got it right. <laughs> so, I want you to do me a favor. This, this isn't in my, on my notes on the screen, but it is in my notes on paper. I want you to do me a favor real quick. Y'all ready? Flip back to Genesis 3. As you find your spot, say amen so I'll know you're with me. Oh. When you find Genesis 3, find Genesis 3.15. When you find that, say amen. I told myself not to go here, but. Genesis 3.15 reads like this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first smack talking. There's a lot of, there's a lot of smack talking in the Bible. My favorite's when Goliath and David have a go at it. And David tells Goliath, hey man, if God will help me, I'm going to cut your head off. That's mighty brave talk from a ruddy sheep herder. All the build up. And did anybody notice when we read Revelation 27 through 10, he says, and they all come out, Gog and Magog. And they encamp around the saints and God kills them. <laughs> did anybody notice? So much for the fight, right? Satan is unbound and he gathers a vast army. Now, for the next hour, I'll stand here and tell you who I think Gog and Magog is. Or I'll say the truth. I don't know exactly who Gog and Magog is. But I call it first, great rock band name. I'll tell you who I know exactly who they are in this way. If you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog and Magog are the enemies of Israel. And all of true Israel's enemies. Who exactly are they? Now I'm fitting to explain y'all something. You ready? What did I tell y'all was the most important thing about Satan being bound? Anybody? Come on. I heard, I heard someone say it. He doesn't deceive. For a thousand years, Christ with his saints will reign on earth. And at the end of that, there will be men and women still eager to join Satan. All the ideas about blaming our environment will be utterly absurd. And I believe God shows us this to prove that it ain't what's out there that's causing us not to walk with Jesus. It's what's in here. You got a stinky upbringing? Join the club. Poverty, ill health is beating you down? Join the club. You can't explain, you, you can't find an explanation for all your deep questions. Join the club. Jesus says this succinct. 
they loved darkness more than light. That thousand years is going to be a peaceful government. The gospel will be unhindered, unleashed, and men and women will be eager to join the army of Satan. Now, here's where I told you a thousand years is so critical. How many generations pass in a thousand years? If we say every 20 years is a generation, there's five per hundred, there's ten hundreds, fifty generations. You won't be able to blame it on bad ancestry. And what it will be proved in a thousand years is true in 2023. It's not what's without that keeps us from God. It's what is within. It's always this fun, visitors. Thanks for coming. Before the fight can even begin, the battle is ended, ended finally, fully, and forever. I hope you noticed that. All the junk talking that's gone on for thousands of years, they gather around, and, and then uh, God, fire came down from heaven. Does that make anybody think of a certain episode? I promise I won't go there. How about Elijah on Mount, yeah, Mount Caramel? It was sticky, sweet, delightful. Right? That's, that's where Def Leppard got the song, Pour Some Sugar On Me. Just seeing if anybody's here with me tonight. Those, those jokers plead and plead and plead, and, and their, their God never comes, right? Elijah pours water all over the offering, and God's like, he put a straw in it. He drank Elijah's milkshake. Now go back and read that passage again. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Now, for the saints, we might sing, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You know that song? But what are these guys saying? Fire came down and now there's no hope for my soul. I love my sin, rejected the Savior within. Fire came down and hell has consumed my soul. I just wrote that this week. You're welcome. And then the devil's cast in the lake of fire. You say, what about everybody else? Just wait. As the guy used to say on ESPN, wait, there's more. There's the great... Throne judgment. So come back next week and it will be just as cheerful as ever. Is it really eternal punishment? <laughs> Look at the end of verse 10. Forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be encouraged, not confused. The main points of this passage are those in Christ will have a victorious eternity. Somebody say amen. Those not in Christ will have an eternal defeat. Even if everything was made perfect in your life today, it wouldn't be external circumstances 
that made you go to Jesus, and it wouldn't be external circumstances that kept you away from Jesus. You can also extend that to your walk. It's not all the stuff in the world that keeps you from walking strong in Jesus. So what, how could a believer respond to this? Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Know me. Humbly ask God to lovingly deliver you out of your own devices. Wherever there's weaknesses and strongholds in your life, just ask God, God, help me. I know you're faithful. And God, if, if, if I'm to endure for your glory, give me endurance. There's a second thing I might say as a word of invitation in response. Are you surrendered to God through Christ Jesus? Have you done that one work God will respect? What is that work? To believe on the one he sent. Believe on Jesus. Believe his death pays for your sin. His resurrection guarantees yours. He sets you at peace with the Father, gives you a new life, and brings you into the family of God, and so much more. Have you received his lordship? And you don't get salvation without lordship. Sorry. I'm not going to say bow your heads and raise your hands. Pray with me. I'm going to say if you believe on him, join together with the people of God and live for him. But it does start saying, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. Take my life and give me yours. John, if you would come and bring the team with you. and The music isn't to woo you into an emotional decision. The word has been presented. But the music is to give us a space to contemplate together. What are we singing, John? Uh, blessed assurance. Oh. That's twice I've got to sing this today. It's one of my favorites. Yes. As we stand and sing together, I'm going to be praying the Holy Spirit Give you an earnest reflection. John will pray, and then if you guys would uh, sing. God, we love you, and we know that these things are important, and I know I am absolutely not sufficient for the task of preaching your word. But Holy Spirit, you are more than able to take just the reading of your word and make it abound in the spirits of men and women, and boys and girls. Father, I am concerned that we Christians learn to enjoy our salvation. And I'm also concerned that others begin it. May eternity spring up in someone's heart today. In Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.